<laughs> so we're going to continue this morning um, talking about forgiveness and continuing on in that series. And uh, we're going to be jumping into a pretty cool passage in the book of Matthew. Um, and, and forgiveness is, is a really important part of the good news of the Bible. It's a part of how we understand the message of the Bible and what it means for our lives. And it's, it's a key theme uh, from Genesis to Revelation. And because of that, um, that means it plays a big role in our theology. Okay, And theology meaning our belief in God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, um, and what his word says and how we respond to it. Um, and because forgiveness plays that big role in God's story, that means it needs to play a big role in how we understand his story. Okay? And that's why we talk about it a lot. Not just in this series, but there's a lot of sermons and things you've probably read where forgiveness is coming up. Even if it's not the key topic. Even if it's not the, hey, this is all we're talking about. And so because of that, it's important that we have a good and accurate belief and understanding of it that is shaped by the Bible, not just our feelings, not just the memes that we see on Facebook or politics or philosophy or cool little knickknack sayings that people tell us. Our understanding and belief about what forgiveness is needs to be based on what we learn in the Bible. That needs to be the primary definer. And thankfully, we have the Bible. We have God's word. God spoke, and he said, this is how I want us, this is how I want my people to live, and it shapes our lives. But because it's an emotional topic, there's hurt, and there's pain, um, and there's a lot of things involved. But what's awesome is, is today we get to kind of lock in a little bit more of, of that good. I know, I know I'm using this big word theology, but we're locking in that good theology so that our understanding of forgiveness can be more and more rooted in the word of God. Because I know for me, I'm, I'm emotional. And if you don't know that I'm an emotional guy, that's okay. I, I know some of you pretty well, some of you not well. But my wife is, is at home watching online and she's like, wow, I'm so proud of my husband. He just admitted that. Um, so when I hear the word forgiveness, whether it's a pastor preaching or I'm reading a book or I'm um, just someone's talking about it, I usually have one of two feelings. Feeling number one, the first, first Brian, we'll call him in the story, Brian 1A, um, is kind of just like, oh yeah, forgiveness, this is important. Jesus forgives us, God, yeah, I'm ready. And I'm kind of shaking my head. I'm like, what, you, what are you gonna teach me? And I'm ready. But there's this other Brian, we'll call this Brian 2B or whatever. It doesn't, not, not, one's not better than the other. I'm still me, but, but has a very different response though. Maybe the pastor comes up and starts talking about forgiveness, or maybe just the word forgiveness pops up on the screen. But this Brian is like, oh, no, no, no. God, no, we can't talk about this today. There's that so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, no, let's, let's just get through this. I, you know, I'm not ready for this. We, uh, you know, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for forgiveness today. Maybe tomorrow we'll talk about it. Maybe when so-and-so gets their act together, we can talk about forgiveness. And uh, that me, that's, that's an emotional me. And I don't know if any of you, I've, has anyone else maybe had that feeling when they hear the word forgiveness? Like, nope, uh-uh. And, and uh, that's, that's kind of one of my responses. And it goes back a long time. I've had this response for a while. Um, I'll, I'll tell a little story. And to paint some context, for those of you that don't know, I was homeschooled for a large chunk of my life. 
Um, I see some clapping. Whoop, whoop for my homeschoolers. What? Um, that's good. I, I, I either get the loudest whoop, whoops when I go for the homeschooler whoop, whoop, or none at all. Um, so I was homeschooled from first grade to seventh grade. And uh, I lived in a little community, and there were no other homeschoolers there. And my best friend who lived down the street, he was not homeschooled. He was the opposite of maybe the stereotypical homeschool kid that I was. He was like the rebel kid at school. He was getting in trouble, and he'd like come home and be like, yeah, I beat up like 10 kids at school today. It was awesome. And homeschool me was like, whoa, you thought them all at the same time? Um, you know, and, and he was telling me all these things, and, and, and so we were really different, but we were, we were totally friends, but he was always getting in trouble, and I was, I was not getting in trouble that often. Um, I was never getting in trouble. I had two sisters, so they were good at tattling on me. Um, but one day, I went to church, and uh, my, my parents took me to church, and I had my church outfit, and I, you know, so I was dressed up. I obviously wasn't excited about the outfit. My, you know, I had my shirt tucked in, and it was a pair of pants that I only wore when I had to. But I got home from church. I was like, well, I'm going to go hang out with my buddy. Um, and he lived down the road. I could see him playing outside in his house. But I didn't change out of my church clothes because I was just so excited. So I go to his house, I walk over, and he's like playing with the hose. It's all muddy in the yard. And, uh, and I was like, hey, man, what are you doing? You want to hang out? And he's like, oh, man, I'm doing, playing with the hose and doing a water gun fight. And, and I was like, well, I can't, I can't play that with you because I have my church clothes on. And uh, I realized that, you know, you're the heathen who doesn't understand how important my church clothes are, but I will be in so much trouble if these get dirty. And he's like, no, 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 Brian, like, come play with me, come play. And I was literally standing, like, at the line of his property. So I was like, not until you turn the hose off. I need to know I'm going to stay clean before I come and play. And he's, you know, being the rebellious, you know, just oh, scary kid who spent too much time in detention that he was, he just shot me with the hose. <laughs> and got my church clothes soaked and I was like oh my gosh my mom's gonna kill me I'm gonna be in so much trouble because you know when you're in like second grade you know your clothes get wet you think they're dirty it's the end of the world and I was so mad and I was like I'm done I'm out of here and I walk away but I was so mad at him and I wanted him to know how much he had was gonna get me in trouble I wanted him to understand and I wanted to feel validated that he knew that he really had messed up my day. He'd messed up my church clothes. So I walked about halfway home. I sat on the street, sat of the street for a while. And that was probably really what got my church clothes dirty. And then I thought, you know what? I know what I'm going to do. I know how I'm going to show him that he should feel horrible. I walked back to his house, and he had forgotten already. He was like, oh, hey, Brian, what's up? Welcome. We want to hang out. And I said, you know what? I said, you're grounded from me for five days. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, you're grounded from me. You can't hang out with me for five days. And I left. I just went home. And I was like, that showed him. He now knows he needs to apologize. He knows he was in the wrong. Mm. And I, I mean, I was so set. And I was so, I don't know. I felt like I had power in asking for his forgiveness that I held to. He came to my house the next day, and he's like, hey, you want to play? And I was bored out of my mind. I remember, because he came over, and I was excited, and I was like, oh, no, no, he needs to know. And I opened the door. I said, I can't play with you. You're grounded from me, remember? <laughs> and he's like, are you serious? 
I was like, yes. And I held on to that because it was my forgiveness to give. And I didn't want to give it for five days. I was holding on to that. So that's literally the story. And the end of the story is that he now tells that story. I'm still friends with him. He tells that story to everyone. And it's embarrassing. He told it at my wedding. Um, and Jesse loved it. And my mom was like, what? You grounded chair from you? You're like, what? But, um, but I, I wanted that forgiveness to be mine to do with what I wanted when I wanted. I didn't want to show him compassion. I wanted him to know how mad I was. And I wanted to feel that validation. And as cute and funny as that story is, um, let's get real. There, there's, there is something about forgiveness that's tough. Forgiveness is still not easy for me. Now, I, I haven't grounded anyone from me in a long time. Um, I think someone would laugh at me and just be like, all right, what are, like you're an idiot. But, but I still, I know that I personally still struggle with forgiveness like that. I know that there are still times where I want forgiveness to be in my hand so that I can be like, no, no, not yet. And it feels powerful, but guys, that, that is not, that is not what the Bible says about forgiveness. But that's how we oftentimes feel about it. Maybe for you, you're like, Brian, I've never felt like that. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But maybe you've just felt like, you know what, I just will never say, I'll never forgive this person. Or maybe your feeling has been, I need them to change before I can forgive them. Or, oh, you know what, I told them I forgive them. I just never want to speak to them again. But whatever it is, those are built on our pride and our emotions. And that's not the way that God talks about forgiveness. We know that God in no way tells us to hold back forgiveness and love. And why does he tell us to do that? Because we are God's children and we are called to be like him and to align with his ways. And God's not standing here being like, well, Brian, you're grounded. You can't have your salvation for five days. You squirted me with a hose. No, God says in, or sorry, <laughs> the Bible says um, in Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. God forgave us and we are told to forgive others. And today we're going to see, though, that God calls us to even more than just that. We're not just going to talk about forgiveness today. We're going to go a little bit further. He takes this idea and he says, hey, let's, let's look at what that actually looks like in a relationship. Now, before we jump into today's passage, I want to add two little side notes, okay? Because um, forgiveness is a big topic and it's a tough one. And we're going to look at how forgiveness is more than saying sorry or just accepting an apology or just being kind of nice. Um, we already met the two Brian's and the two responses that he has, right? Um, and, and one of them had someone in mind who'd done things wrong to them, right? Um, but for some of us, this might be, this might not be you. Um, maybe it's been you, but when the word forgiveness comes up, the person that comes into your mind might be someone that's not safe, okay? And I want to say this right now. When God calls us to forgive and love others, he does not say that when we forgive others that we also need to invite that danger that that person brings back into our life, okay? God calls us to forgive others, but for those that are forgiving those that have been unsafe, 
Forgiving them does not mean we need to subject ourselves to an environment that endangers us. Okay, so that's, that's kind of point number one. I think everyone's got that one there, okay? Here's point number two. These are, these are side notes, but I want us to keep this in mind because I don't want to talk about this and have you feeling like, but what about that? Should I be in that unsafe? No. The second one is some of you probably have, I think I will say all of you, um, and maybe you just haven't admitted it yet, but have real hurts in your life. Real pain and damage that probably is connected to something that someone has done that you're still dealing with. And as God calls us to forgiveness, he's not downplaying that there's damage that's been done. He's, he's actually saying the opposite. God loves you. And as much as he calls you to forgive others in the midst of your pain, he equally desires to comfort and heal you. And he is continuing his work in preparing a place for you that will be perfect and right. And your pain will be no longer. Okay? So that's the other one, right? So let's jump into... The main passage we're looking at today. It's Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, those two Brian's I was talking about earlier, they've had this passage come up a lot, whether in my heart or mind or just reading through Matthew. And I can't tell you how many times I've read this passage. And going back, I'm saying, hey, no, I'm not, I'm not praying for them. I'm not loving them. It's not just forgiveness, but that person that comes to mind, I, I don't want to pray for them. I usually want them to stay in the state of enemy. I look over there and I'm like, yeah, as long as they're, they're bad over there, I'm validated for keeping them in that negative place in my mind, for not having to pray and to love. I want it to be where the only way my view changes is if they change. I want it to be on them to fix this problem. But the passage tells me that's the wrong view. The instruction is clear. The person who I feel validated in my disdain for who I want to be the one who has to change because they were wrong. No, that's, this, this passage tells me differently. The passage in Colossians that we look at says, I'm called to forgive them. This passage in Matthew takes it a step further and says that I'm called to love them and to pray for them. See, Jesus is taking what have been traditional cultural views on handling those um, that are our enemies or persecutors opposed. I realize maybe some of you would don't have anyone you would consider an enemy, but maybe those who who frustrate your life. And he's challenging the listeners. And, and, and in this passage, this is actually in the Sermon on the Mount, okay? And he's challenging the listeners and he's challenging us that there is a new way of looking at our hostile relationships. The views of us as listeners and those that were hearing the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is speaking to, um, there's, I think, it, what he's saying, there's a pretty similar cultural perspective. In verses 43 to 48, we read that lands right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount actually is part of six antithesis statements. Okay, and what those are, and, and, and we're going to go through a couple before, is it's a statement that starts with a, so you've heard, and then Jesus says kind of a cultural perspective, and he says, but I tell you, and then he kind of flips that upside down, right? So we kind of saw in this one, you have heard that it was said, 
love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, some of the other ones that lead up, he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Okay, do we see that? Kind of this, you have heard, and he goes further and he says, but I tell you, if, if even in your heart you're angry, you're subject to judgment. <clears throat> he says that again, few verses later, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, takes this, hey, I think we can, we all agree, yeah, don't commit adultery. But he says, no, we're going to take it one step further because Jesus is at the core there. He says again, he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Jesus is taking this Jewish tradition, and I think that we're culturally very similar in those thought processes, and he throws it on its head. And he isn't just saying, hey, you've got this wrong, you've totally missed the point, right? Some of those, it's like, no, that makes sense. What he is doing is he's taking something in our mind that makes sense, and, and might even be good, and he's showing us that God's way is even deeper. God's way of relationships is even deeper. He's getting to the heart of our sin, not just our actions, right? It's not just exterior. He's talking interior here. He's saying, even when you've got reason to retaliate, do not. And in our passage, he's saying that even for those that are loving and kind to so many, those that give you every reason to not love, you need to love them even more. Okay, so he's saying, hey, of course, love your brothers and sisters. But those who you have no reason to love, you got to love them. People might say about these verses, what about the person who does something that infuriates me? I know for me, I'm always like, oh, but God, they made me so mad. I just can't stand it. It's not my fault. It's just how I respond. I just can't take it. Or, oh, it's not my fault. She dresses like that. I, I, I can't control my mind. Or they wronged me. What else am I supposed to do but retaliate? But God says, don't harbor anger in your heart. Don't lust in your heart. Don't retaliate to people who hurt you. At no point is Jesus saying, oh man, those, those darn rascals, you're right. They got you. They got you right where you've got no control. That stinks. No, he gives response after response to handling those. And each one is of humility. It's a response of humility from the believer. He says to settle the dispute leading to anger quickly. He says to cut out whatever in your life is fueling your lustful thoughts. He tells us to turn the other cheek when wronged. And how does he wrap it up? He wraps it up with the passage we're spending time in today on love and prayer for our enemies. And let's read that section again. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus is, is taking an Old Testament passage and the, the love your neighbor part is Old Testament passage. The hate your neighbor or hate your enemy is actually, that's not an Old Testament passage. That's kind of a traditional interpretation. Um, and he's saying this is not the way for those who follow me. Because this passage isn't just about forgiveness. It actually doesn't even say the word forgiveness in it. You might be like, well, Brian, so we're preaching on forgiveness and, and that passage doesn't say it. But it's all about who we are as God's children and what it looks like 
for our lives and our relationships. Jesus is showing us how to align with the ways of God. Remember how forgiveness was talked about in the verse we saw earlier in Colossians, right? Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as your Father forgave you. The instruction to aligning with God is right in the passage in Matthew too, right? But I tell you, leave your, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus is completely changing the way believers see the world and those that oppose and persecute them. He's telling us how God is and pointing at how we are to align with him. <coughs> Excuse me. That's why the passage ends with Jesus instructing us to be perfect. He's not saying because perfection is something that we're going to gain here on earth, but he's saying, no, he's emphasizing the perfection of God and that that is where we're being aligned with. So Jesus is changing our view by doing what? By putting love at the forefront of every single one of our relationships. Leon Morris puts it really well when he says, to be God's children means to love. Love and membership in God's family go together. I like that. Love and membership in God's family go together. That's the lens that Jesus is looking at forgiveness through, one of love. Right? If we go back to that young Brian who grounded his best friend from him because he didn't like how he was being treated, he said, I don't like how this person treated me, so I'm going to take something from him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold this forgiveness. But Jesus shows us that if we are to be like our Father in heaven, we are not to hold back any love, blessing, or prayer for others, even when we feel like we've got a good reason. Jesus says in Luke, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus emphasizes the point by pointing at how God continues to raise the sun and the rain and the good and evil as well. Right? If we go back to the passage in Matthew, it says, He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Okay, check out the love of God in that, right? He loves our enemies and gives them the same beautiful sunsets to watch the same rain that nourishes the crops that they get their fruit food from right the value of rain and rise I, I realize that you know we read this passage and 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 it, it contextually is a little bit different for us right when it rains you don't think like oh man my crops they needed that all oh, the sun's up they needed that we're gonna have food right that might be, not be your thought process but think about it contextually for those where that's the case that's what that passage is saying so who are we to say, but they don't deserve my forgiveness. I'm going to hold on to my forgiveness. They don't deserve my love of someone who God still rises the sun and brings rain. God's still doing that, but we're like, but they can't have my forgiveness. They can't have my love and my prayer. That very same person that I say, they hurt me so much that I will hold back my love. Yet the Lord who has been sinned against by that person much worse than we were doesn't hold back from them those things. There is no natural blessings that, that it's just like, hey, we don't look and go, oh, well, Washington, D.C. hasn't gotten any rain in a while. It's probably because all the politicians are just corrupt over there. Good thing I haven't been praying for them and loving them because, no. Leon Morris puts it well. I will quote him again. He says, the point being emphasized is that God does not limit his blessings to those who serve him faithfully. Even to those who oppose him, he gives many good things. 
that means that we're called differently than what our pride tells us in our hearts. Right? If we read that passage and we realize, like, man, like, yeah, God, God does bless those who serve him faithfully, and, and he even gives to those who oppose him many good things. So who am I to hold back? No, we are to pray for our enemies. We're called to leave judgment to the Lord. That's his. That's, that's for God on judgment day. We're instructed to bless and to love and to pray for our others, including our enemies. And as members of God's family, these actions should be a recognizable characteristic about us. And as we see in this passage, it is not enough to just love our brothers and sisters. For it says even the tax collectors, which uh, I feel like that's a cultural reference there that just makes so much sense now, though. If the, if, you know, the IRS came to your door and asked for taxes, you probably would not be as excited, right? But our enemies, our opposers, those who persecute us, those are who we need to be praying for and blessing for. But that looks a little bit different for each of us. The Christian Standard Bible says, verse 47, a, a little bit different, and I like it. It says, and if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? This love for others, those who we are called to pray for, that, as Jesus is clearly showing us, are probably those we don't want to. Who are those people in, in our lives? It could be people that have hurt you in your life. Maybe someone that's gossiped about you. Maybe they've just been mean to you or mean to someone you care about. A person that you once called your friend and now you're just like, but they did that thing. Maybe a business partner or a competitor or maybe just your boss and they've proved dishonest or mischievous. What about those we oppose? Will we pray for and love and pray blessing for those we oppose? Whether we maybe have disagreeing political views or maybe we feel differently than they do about wokeness or vaccines. What about the politicians who stand for the things that we are against? Or maybe the ones that, that are pushing legislation that says yes to sinful acts, legalizing sinful acts. Are we willing to still pray for them, pray blessing for them, and to love them? I know for me, there are people that it's really hard for me to do that for. And some of those people are in that group. I know sometimes I go on Facebook, I'm like, I can't believe, oh, they're so, they're so bad. But it, it, that doesn't change it, right? I remember one time at, at work, I, uh, I, I was leading a sales team. And uh, I've talked a little bit about working in sales. But when you lead a sales team, the success of your team impacts their paycheck. So there's a lot of weight there, right? Um, when they're frustrated with you as a boss, they say, you're impacting my paycheck this much, okay? And another department made a decision that they thought was a great decision, but it wasn't a good decision. It was clearly gonna hurt the sales team, and I didn't feel it was good for the customers, and I was mad, I was so frustrated. I was, I was enraged, and for good reason. I wanted to just go and tell my sales team, you know what, your paycheck's gonna be lower, and it's this guy's fault. He made a decision. Customers are gonna be dissatisfied because this department did this. And I remember God put this verse in Matthew of praying, for our enemies on my heart. And for the first time, I really felt like, oh my gosh, I have an enemy right now. It's this, this guy in his department at my work. And I started praying for them. And I'm gonna be honest, at first, my prayer was like, Lord, help them to see the light. Help them to see this decision was such a bad choice. 
that was where that was where my prayer started. I'm gonna be honest. And I don't know if it was a day or two days, but my prayer started to change. Because in my heart, I knew, and as I read that verse, I was like, no, God's not calling me to pray for them to align with what I think is the right thing here. By the end, my prayers for them were for their families, for blessing on their life, that their department would grow and would thrive and would succeed. And my prayer was for how I was handling the situation. I found myself treating the hardship and the frustration totally different. I wanted them to succeed. I, I cared for them in a way that I couldn't have imagined. They became a blessing to me when so recently I literally was considering them an enemy. But I tell that story because the fact is, it, it is hard to pray for those who might be seen as an enemy. But that's no surprise to God. He's not sitting there being like, oh, shoot. I totally didn't think about your situation when I had Jesus say that. No, Jesus, because, see, Jesus knows that prayer is part of what aligns us with God. Guys, prayer is spiritual. The Holy Spirit is there and is involved. And, and if there is any reason that I have learned from this instance for why to pray for those who are my enemies or my persecutors or just those who frustrate me or those who post things online that I'm like, I can't believe they're spreading that. Prayer alone is so worth it because the Holy Spirit works in our hearts when we pray. It, the Holy Spirit aligns us with God. So if you don't know where to start, just start praying. And at first your prayer might be like mine. Jesus, show them the one. I'm right. But trust me, if your heart is open and your Bible is open when you pray, God's going to change your heart. And you're going to see how you become aligned with how God looks at them, not with how you look at them. Because I'm going to be honest, whatever the reason is that you're so frustrated with them, whatever that situation, whether it's your work, whether it's politics, whether it's personal relationships, God's going to, he looks at it so much bigger. He is not concerned with the things of man. He's concerned with the things of God. And if we pray, we're going to align there. Because when we love and pray for our enemies, we are humbly submitting ourselves to saying, God, may you show me how to think and speak and feel about this person. So how far does that go, though? Okay? I mean, there are some bad people in the world. There are people who have done bad things to people. So how far does it go to pray for someone, to bless someone, to love someone. And I think Jesus is always the best example. And uh, I know in my heart, my heart gets riled up. I get frustrated. And there's, there's people who I'm, I could write papers on why they shouldn't be prayed for. But when I look to Jesus, and I look to Jesus on the cross, does, do you know who the last person that Jesus prayed for was before he died? And I spoke about who he prayed for when he was on the cross, hanging there, literally suffocating to death. He prayed for the soldiers that were gambling away his possessions. The people who were there literally laughing and mocking and gambling away his clothes. He said, he said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Guys, if Jesus is praying for the men who literally just hung him on the cross and saying, Father, forgive them. That's, that's where that standard is. 
God calls us to love in a way that is foolish by the world's view. And that's crazy and that's hard. But God calls us to love those who are horrible to us. And, and, and I know, I mean, for me, like I feel, I think about Jesus praying for them. And I think the reason for me that that is so emotional is because I know that I have been so wrong to other people. And God is calling those people to pray for me too. I have been wretched and I have been sinful. And I'm sure there are times in your life you felt that, but I just want you to know God is saying, pray for them, forgive them, love them. When we read those statements earlier about not being angry in our hearts, not lusting in our hearts, not retaliating, guys, I have done all those too, too many times and too recently than I'd like to admit. But Jesus doesn't put those there to shame us. He didn't say those things because he wants you to feel shame. He wasn't standing up there on the Sermon on the Mount being like, shame. No. He told us those things because he wants us to see who he is. He wants to say, align yourself with my Father. Jesus is saying that you, in being saved and loved by him, that not only does he want to change your exterior actions, but even more so, he wants to change your interior. That interior isn't just anger, lust, or retaliation, but it's also our feelings about our enemies. He wants to change those. Jesus is replacing all those things with love. He's not in heaven retaliating when you mess up. When you do something stupid, he's not saying, whew, no. When, when, when you're doing something dumb, he's not sitting up there angry and stewing at you. When you lust after someone else, he isn't saying, you know what, and, I'm, and I want someone else more than I want you. And that's the thing. So when we look at those passages and we're like, man, God's calling me to do this thing. Like, if there's an ounce of shame, know that. No, because God is aligning you with you because he wants you to experience him. No, God said, I want you. He said, I am sending my son. He will die on the cross so that you can spend eternity with you. And now that you are my children, align with me and love your enemies just as I love them. See, God knows that his ways are the only ways that are good. He knows that our interior is who and where we really are. And that's why this stuff feels so hard. Guys, because it's real. It's like the realest of the real stuff. Like, I know that we're like, hey, this is real. We see all this. But what's going to be there in heaven? Yeah. Right? I would argue that that's probably more real. And I, I, I'm not quoting scripture. That's just, I'm just saying that. And that's the stuff that God wants to change. That's what he cares about is your core, the part of you that continues on for eternity. And this is why I, I started off talking about why theology is important. Our hearts give forgiveness and love wrong all the time. Our hearts are going to get it wrong. But the Bible gets it right every time. And if I'm real, I have, I have maybe been one of the biggest enemies to myself in my life. Um, there have been times where I've, I've said and thought horrible things about myself. And I cannot overcome my own man-made perspective of myself. I just can't. And here's the thing. The Bible, that theology, that's how I need to respond to the way that I see myself. Because when I'm saved, when I seek to align myself with God, the Holy Spirit transforms not only who we are, but our understanding of who we are. 
It helps us to see how God looks at us. And the Bible, the Bible doesn't say anywhere, hey, you know, you need to forgive yourself. Okay? And I don't think that it needs to. This is my opinion. I don't think it needs to because I think the Bible says this is how God sees you. And that is so much more than the way you see yourself. It changes our, our understanding of who others are to one that is more like God's view. So if you struggle with whether it's how you look at others or whether it's how you look at yourself, knows that God sees you and sees that person and loves them. And for those of you that are here, we love Jesus. And we've given our lives to him. He calls you his son or, and his daughter. He wants to give you a chance to experience his love now. He has saved you so that you can spend eternity with him. And as we have given our lives to him through the power of Christ, he has forgiven you all your sins and sees you as good and as his own. God calls us to love like he does. And he shows us here that he is going to shape that love in our hearts as we pray for our friends, as we pray for our enemies, as we love our family, and as we love those who hurt others, and as we pray blessing and bless all of those, God seeks to align us with him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is good and it is true and it is available to us and it speaks to us, God, and that Jesus has come and died on the cross so that we may have our sins forgiven and rose again that we may be able to triumph over death. God, help us and give us strength for this message is not easy to go and love and pray for those who, frankly, we probably don't want to love and pray for and God, I just pray that you would give us and remind us of the safety and time that we have as we work through this and push to honor you. God, we pray that the Spirit would align us with your heart. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.